On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Coming to you live today from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Before we get ready to shut things down for the holiday season, I'm sure many of you getting ready to do the exact same thing. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. Lots to get to today with a, a great guest, a guy who's been on the show a few times, Mr. Paul Romanuk, uh, a guy who you've heard quite a bit over the years, calling international hockey, calling Leafs hockey, calling hockey back in the day on TSN. Um, been on here once to talk about his career over the years and then was on last year when we ran that Christmas Day episode with all kinds of friends of, uh, of the podcast. So he's been on a few times, always great to catch up with Paul. Uh, just before we get to him... I do want to remind everybody, on Friday, Christmas Eve, the Tall Can Audio World Juniors Preview Show. It's become a tradition around here, something we do every year, something we get a lot of great feedback about, something we get a lot of questions about every year. Yes, we are doing it again, uh, so that will be available for you on Christmas Eve. Rob and myself kind of teeing up this year's tournament, just talking about some of our favorite memories of it, uh, all these sorts of things. It's a... It's a different looking tournament again this year. The whole world has changed uh, a few times over the last 21, 22 months, whatever it's been now. Um, but uh, one thing remains constant, and that is the World Juniors over the Christmas break. So Rob and I will do that, and uh, we'll get that f- out for you on Friday morning. Wherever you are listening right now, you'll be able to find that one. Make sure you have subscribed, uh, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Uh, there is a, a follow button or a subscribe button. Make sure you hit that and uh, and join us there. Also, we'll tee up uh, what's coming at you throughout the holiday season because we're not going to leave you hanging. We know a lot of your favorite shows start to disappear. We don't do that to you. We will always keep the good stuff coming for you. So on Monday morning, the second annual Brew Marsh Awards, which is uh, essentially Canada's Athlete of the year as decided over a couple of craft beers. And we, uh, we know that's not how the panel for the official Lou Marsh or Canadian athlete of the year, whatever they're calling it now. I know there's some, you know, there's some controversy over the title. Uh, we are not getting into that. Um, 
And uh, they don't tread on our territory. They don't seem to have near enough beers while they're having these conversations. We will do that. Michaela Schreider returns, as well as our buddy Chris Hoffley, uh, the two who helped me start this tradition last year. Uh, when we did the first ever Brew Martial Awards, uh, they will return this year. And yeah, we'll talk about uh, our favorite brewery of the year, favorite beer of the year. And then, uh, yeah, the, the Canadian Athlete of the Year debate, which is always interesting with an Olympics going on uh, with Connor McDavid, the Canadian men's soccer team uh, getting back on track. Of course, it's the Canadian women's soccer team winning an Olympic gold medal. Marie-Philippe Poulain, the Canadian women's hockey team wins uh, a world championship again. No shortage of athletes involved in the discussion this year. So we will debate all that for you on Monday during the uh, the Brew Marsh Awards. Uh, so like I said, that is Monday the 27th. And on New Year's Eve, the TCA New Year's Eve Spectacular, Maddie Lang will join me and we'll step away from sports a little bit. Again, we'll talk about uh, maybe which craft beers and breweries have been MVP caliber to him over the course of the year. But then we will kind of talk about the stories of the year, be it across pop culture or uh, entertainment, whatever else might be going on. Just kind of a, a year in review outside of sports uh, for the calendar year 2021 with your boy Maddie Lang. So that's what's coming at you throughout the rest of the holiday season. Not sure there'll be anything else midweek next week. Sometimes I've been known if I'm bored enough to drop in and and do uh, a couple of World Junior post-game shows, these sorts of things. We'll see. But those are the ones that are locked in, right? Those are the ones that are definitely happening. We are committed to those. Uh, so like I said, Friday morning, Christmas Eve, Rob is here for our annual World Junior Preview Show. Monday with Chris Hoffley and Michaela Schreider, the Brew Marsh Awards. And next Friday, New Year's Eve, Maddie Lang is here for our 2021 Year in Review. So uh, with all that in mind, make sure you stick around for, uh, for those. And coming at you right now, we will look at a guy who had a front row seat to the evolution of of the World Junior Hockey Championships called every tournament from, uh, or was involved in every tournament from 1990 to 2001, uh, whether it be play-by-play or hosting duties, these sorts of things are on TSN. And to me, that's sort of the golden era of the tournament when it goes from being this quaint sort of holiday thing to this now multimedia behemoth, that evolution all sort of occurred through the 90s and uh, this guy had a front row seat. So without any further ado, we will get to him right now. Paul Romanuk joins the Tall Can Audio Podcast. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm excellent, thank you. Best of uh, best of the season to uh, to you and yours and and all your listeners. And great to be back. Uh, same to you. Uh, what have you been keeping busy with here? We're all sort of the world's I don't know sliding all over the place again. We're just trying to keep her all on the road. Things are good down there. That's a nice way to describe it. Sliding. <laughs> Place. That's well put. Uh, I've been you know, keeping busy. I, I do a music podcast. Uh, the Walrus was Paul, which is a, I, I talk to Canadian musicians about uh, their favorite Beatles uh, album or Beatles solo album. So I've been keeping busy with that and uh, just doing some uh, writing as well. I do a little bit of teaching. So keeping busy, but semi-retired. Right. Well, this time of year, Paul, everybody's focus, especially in the hockey world, turns to one thing and you've got a deep background on it. And Previous times when you've been on, you've, you've been able to sprinkle in a little bit, but it hasn't been uh, the main topic of conversation. So I wanted to get you on and, you know, just in kind of a general sense, you called the World Juniors on uh, here in Canada on TSN in 1990 to 01, I believe. Is that correct? That is I was the host in uh, I was the host for the 1991 tournament, which was the first year it was on TSN. Jim Hewson called it. And then I called everyone uh, through the 2001 tournament. And then you were calling it for an international feed later on. Is that right? 
Yeah, I did. I want to say uh, six or seven tournaments for Eurosport, uh, which is the the main sort of pan-European sports channel. Uh, and I would do the – now, Eurosport's coverage wasn't as extensive as TSN's, but I would do the medal round for right. Eurosport when I was living overseas. So when you think back to kind of that time in your career and that time of the tournament, like it, it had existed long before you started to, to do that. But to me, that 90s thing is, is sort of where it started to take hold and, and grow a little bit. And it it looked more polished. It, it didn't, you know, it, and part of that comes with the advances in broadcasting, too. But to me, that's where it really started to take hold across Canada as being this big deal through the holiday season. As someone who had a front row seat for it, is that sort of how you feel about it as well? Or am I maybe... With due to my age, underplaying what it was before that, or uh, what are your no, kind of no, thoughts on no, its growth I, there? No, you're right on. Uh, I mean, I I cut my teeth. I started calling junior hockey on the radio in uh, around 1981. Uh, so it, you know, it, it it was around all through the 80s, but it was this tournament that really received next to no coverage and i won't say it was important to hockey people because it was as it is now it was a showcase for uh drafted and young uh draft eligible players but it was did not have anywhere near the coverage on television uh if it was in canada for example in 1986 when it was in hamilton uh, there were a couple of games that were on the games that involved Canada. And uh, back then it was a round robin tournament. So there was no gold medal game per se. But when it was overseas, uh, for the most part, there was little or no coverage. I mean, famously in 1982, when Canada won the World Junior Championship uh, and the, the final game was was held down in, uh, I want to say, Duluth and there were it wasn't on television. Uh, there was no coverage at all. And. So that's the way it was. And there is no question, absolutely no question at all that TSN uh, is was and is the most instrumental thing in the success of that tournament. And I was a big part of that, uh, along with the producer by the name of Paul Graham. Um, We both were involved with the World Junior Hockey Championship on TSN almost from day one. I think Paul might have come in in the, in the second year. Uh, and we were both totally jacked to be doing it because A, it was international hockey and, and B, it was Canada. And we really pushed to make that, to make those shows good and entertaining. And that was a big part of it becoming what it has become. Now, the other big part Without a doubt, Matt, and I've probably said this to you before, it, it was the perfect storm. You had a, a, a sports channel that uh, grew into covering all of the games, which had never been the case. So people could see all the games. So that was a big deal. But the biggest thing was that Canada suddenly became successful at the tournament. They won five gold medals in a row during the 90s. I called all of them. And I always tell people, I mean, had Canada just done its usual performance at the World Junior Championship, which, you know, might have been third place, second place, uh, but not winning it, not dominating it, then it would not have taken off. But as it, everybody loves a winner. And so it became a tradition to click on the TV on Boxing Day and watch Canada kick the shit out of Norway 11 to 1. <laughs> hey, hey, yay, Canada. You know? and, and that's the way it went. Uh, you know, had, they, had they, over those five years or over that decade when I was involved, had they finished in you know fourth place, third place, maybe first place one time, 
it wouldn't have grown to the extent it has. But that was it was the perfect storm. And that was the result. And now it's this, you know, to me, barely recognizable behemoth that it is. Well, I want to ask you about that part of it in a second, whether you can still recognize it and what it has turned into. But what do you think helped trigger that? Because you're right. It is this perfect storm of, you know, we all love watching a, a winner, but it's also during the holidays when you're home from work and you got the family around and a network that can dedicate all their um, resources to it at the time. But Canada did kind of turn a corner there and did become more successful through that decade. Is this sort of at the same time that the program of excellence comes into play or what, like in your mind, how did they turn the corner? You know, even though it was sort of unrelated, uh, it worked out nicely for timing, but you know, they wouldn't have been the, the fact that it was on TV didn't make them more successful. Why do you think the program itself became a little better? Uh, a big tip of the hat to uh, Bob Nicholson and the program of excellence. Uh, you know, you you alluded to it. Uh, the way it started, so it was the first year TSN was involved. It was held in Saskatoon. That was ninety ninety one, and that was the John Slaney goal late right. in the final game. There was no medal game, but Canada won that game, and and they were the champions of the tournament. The following year. Uh, was which was the first year I called play by play. We traveled to uh, Germany, Fusen and Kaufbaren. Oh, sure, uh, household terms and yeah, names. Yeah, a couple of a couple of smaller cities uh, in Bavaria, uh, the Bavarian part of Germany, and we went there for that. And Canada was was horrible. Uh, had a terrible performance. Uh, there were a number of behind the scenes problems. Uh, by the time it all, it all, you know, members of the coaching staff weren't even talking to one another oh, by the geez. end of it. it. It was a mess. And the whole Eric Lindros thing got dropped in because Eric uh, that year, because he was exhausted from all the hockey he played. I think he played in a Canada Cup and he was playing junior. So it was decided, well, you don't have to come to training camp and you can just join the team in Europe. So there was discord about that. And I, I could I could and should write a book about that one <laughs> tournament. However, what what came out of it was Bob Nicholson was there, and that was his first World Junior Championship tournament after having succeeded Murray Costello as sort of the head of, of what was then called Hockey Canada. And what Bob saw told him that things needed to be fixed. And one of the implementations was that if you weren't there for day one of camp, you weren't there. Right. So one thing and then the whole program of excellence was laid down and it, it took a few years for it to come to fruition but what we eventually saw by the time you know 1997 98 99 by the time those years rolled around what the program of excellence was essentially was you took the same core group of players and they started to play for canada in under 16 tournaments under 17 tournaments under 18 tournaments so by the time they got to the world junior which which is the biggest of that slate, they knew the drill. They knew how to accommodate their game to international ice size, international officiating, different tactics that they normally didn't see playing domestic Canadian hockey. Uh, the, the coaching staff was the same. So they had all come up through it. So by the time we got to, uh, I want to say, 96, 97, 98, you had guys who had been playing together uh, in this sort of core group since as elite players since they were 14, 15 years old. So by the time they were 18, 19 at the World Junior, they knew the drill and that that really contributed to it. Uh, as you kind of mentioned there a few minutes ago, 
you know, you said that you had pushed hard for this to become uh, something and, and worked on it from the beginning. I, that was sort of going to be my next question. Were you approached to go and start calling this? Or is it something that you internally at TSN want to see? Uh, like, how do you, the first time you end up involved in this, how does that come about? Well, what happened was I was at TSN and uh, and I, as I said, I cut my teeth in play by play during the 1980s calling junior hockey on the radio. And I was a big believer and still am in, in the hockey. I think it's fantastic. And I thought there was room at TSN for a weekly CHL game of the week. Let's put on a game of the week and showcase teams from all the different leagues. And we came up with a show which was called CHL Sunday night. And I was instrumental in getting that on the air in, in selling the, uh, the, the, uh, the executive producer at the time was a guy named Michael Lansbury, longtime television sports TV veteran uh, in Canada and sold Michael on this concept along with another guy. And we got it on the air. Uh, now the CHL, which is the umbre- umbrella group for all of the three Canadian junior hockey leagues was really impressed with how we'd managed to pull this off. So, as a result, when the CHL sat down to talk with Hockey Canada about releasing their players, as they do, that ongoing agreement that they have to release their players to go and play for Hockey Canada in the World Junior Championship, uh, we had a voice at the table. And they said, you know, you should look at somebody other than CBC to put this on the air with. And it was, hmm, because CBC at that time, that's where all the big events lived. Hockey Night in Canada, Stanley Cup playoffs, Grey Cup, the Briar, all the big events were on CBC. That's not the case anymore, as we know, but back then it was. And as a result of some lobbying by Dave Branch, I believe it was, hmm. they gave the World Juniors uh, to tsn to broadcast and that is sort of how it came about so it was an offshoot of tsn's relationship with the chl game of the week which i was a big part of getting on the air and then when the world juniors were on the air i think my employers said well paul's sort of the junior hockey guy so he should uh, you know he's got to be involved and and luckily i was as that kind of coming to fruition, maybe the first time, I don't know if it gets any easier or harder as you go. Uh, one of the big things that doesn't get talked about as much, uh, you know, not just for the athletes, but for the the staff and the TP, TV people as well is his time away from family. And um, you could be anywhere in Europe or in Canada around the holiday season. Was there any sort of hesitance from you at that point to be like, I don't know if I really want to, you know, dedicate all my Christmases to this moving forward or how does that part of it factor in? Not one tiny no, bit. Right. Uh in fact, just the opposite. I, you know, I, uh, people ask me things that I miss, uh, from, uh, from my work, uh, being away at Christmas is one of them, because if you think about it, uh, all through the 1990s, I was always away at the world junior hockey championship. Then I left TSN and then I started doing the Spengler cup, which right. was another thing that I was a big part of getting on the air. Um, I was very fortunate that way. And I did the Spengler cup games pretty much from 2003 until 2013, so for that block of about 20 years, I was almost always away at Christmas. And I was so lucky to be able to spend Christmas in all of these different parts of the world and see the different traditions and the way they spent the Christmas season. Uh, and it was, you know, I'm thinking mainly of Europe. Uh, it's, it was no big deal spending Christmas in, in Boston, believe me, uh, <laughs> or in a couple other places. But when you're in Yavla, 
in Sweden or Helsinki or Sheleftia or in Moscow or in Ostrava. Those are all really different and really, really memorable. So and, and then, of course, Spengler Cup's a completely different conversation. But being able to being able to go there for a decade and call the Spengler Cup in, in Davos was absolutely you know fantastic so uh, no I, to answer your question matt i'm uh, i'm really uh, i consider it really a great thing about my career that i got to experience that it's fantastic i know there's a noteworthy story there from i believe Ostrovo that we're going to get to towards the end of the show but uh we'll we'll, we'll t- see we'll t- okay yeah we'll save that for now um as you kind of went through this decade there's a bunch of names that come to mind a bunch of players that often um this is the highlight of their career, being on national television across Canada uh, through the holiday season with the whole country watching, you know, is, is sometimes as far as some of these guys get. And I wonder, you know, you sort of alluded to this thing kind of becoming unrecognizable now. Like there's a pile of names that you can just remember that that maybe got a cup of coffee in the NHL, but it didn't quite uh, pan out for do you believe now in the age of social media and all this broadcast, the, the every game is on TV, like despite the, the fun that we have with it and the way it brings the country together, there is an argument that says it's a lot of pressure to put on these teenagers at that age. Do, what do you think of what the tournament has become, uh, you know, all this time later? Well, you know, I, I don't I don't really buy in a lot to that. uh the whole thing about, well, they're so young and all this pressure. I mean, that didn't change, right? I, I mean, the, we're talking about elite young hockey players, and they have been on elite teams probably, I would guess, since they were 10 or 11 years old. They were playing on the local rep team and the pressure that goes with that. And, of course, the pressure gets greater. But they've, you know, it, it's not like you show up at the World Junior and go, oh, my God, there's a lot of pressure. You know, <laughs> I mean. You've you've grown up watching it on television. You know what it's all about. Uh, so f- for the players, I mean, th- they're walking into it with their eyes wide open. So, I mean, yeah, there's that sense of, well, I mean, they are kids, um, mature kids, but kids. And they have the emotional maturity of kids. I mean, you, you know, things I've been in junior hockey dressing rooms after games at the World Junior and kids are, are absolutely inconsolable, bawling their eyes out after they've lost a game and you, know, you don't see that when you're talking about men right. at the Spengler Cup or in the NHL. So, yes, I, I get that aspect of it. But on the other hand, you're walking into it with your eyes wide open. And, and I think probably if if pressure wasn't for you, then you would have uh, it, it, you would perhaps be wise to reevaluate your career choice. Now, the other the part that I think is off the charts is the hype that, uh, you know, the hype from TS and, and, uh, I suppose the media, although there's barely <laughs> media left anymore. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is, yeah, it's a little over the top. I mean, I watch it and kind of roll my eyes and go, because what it, what it is when you boil it down and it was like this for me in the last few years when I was calling it is because it's such a big deal, uh, to such a, a small number of countries, but there are a large number of countries allowed into the tournament, and I and I get that. But I alluded to it earlier, Matt. What you end up getting is the first round, you're lucky if you get one good game. Usually it's 
Canada kicks the crap out of somebody. Sweden kicks the crap out of somebody else. Uh, Russia kicks the crap out of somebody. You get a lot of lopsided, very unentertaining games. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, so after one period, it's Canada six and Norway one. Hey, looking forward to that big second period, Bob. You, <laughs> oh, we'll hype that up. Um, and you. <laughs> The quarterfinals, you might get a good game, uh, although unlikely because it's, you know, it's top against bottom qualifier. Finally, when you get to the semis and the final, the hockey gets absolutely outstanding. But you go through a lot of crappy hockey (laughs) to get to those those tremendous games. So uh, and that's just the way it is in a tournament, I guess. What about the uh, the size of the the venues that this thing is played in? Because one of the cool things that you used to get a lot, and and maybe the last time I can really remember this, would have been Halifax in 03. But in the 90s, you were seeing your Red Deers, right? You got to see um, Winnipeg was in there. I know it's now an NHL market. wasn't at the time. But, you know, you saw, you saw more junior hockey markets get to be a part of it. And now you see it split between Toronto and Montreal or Vancouver or Calgary and Edmonton. And it's still great, and it's fun to see a 20,000-seat arena cheering on these Canadian kids. But I do feel a little bit like this is a junior hockey tournament, and what, I get that as a cash cow, you want the biggest arenas you can put it in. But do you think we've lost something by not being as willing to drop it back into some of these smaller cities anymore? Oh, in my opinion, we absolutely have. Uh, and you touched on it. It's, 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 it's what makes the world go around. It's cash. It's follow the money. And, and I think for me, where the tournament took a, and I understand why they did it, but I think where the tournament took a, a wrong turn was when the International Ice Hockey Federation did a marketing deal with Hockey Canada, giving them the rights to the tournament. And it was going to be held more often in Canada than it had been because uh, there was a definite feeling when I started doing it uh, and coming through the, uh, the eighties it was in Hamilton. Hamilton had a new building to showcase, but it was a junior hockey city. It was in Saskatoon, Uh, Saskatoon, again, new building to showcase, but it was a junior hockey city, Red Deer likewise. And they sprinkled a couple of games into Edmonton and Calgary, but then uh, you know, they, they kind of started, you know, really, I think when you get to the, the mid 2000s, when all of a sudden it was going to Vancouver and Ottawa and Calgary and Edmonton and Toronto and Montreal and Montreal and Toronto and Vancouver again. And, it, you know, and that then even of, Buffalo a couple of times, which is basically suburban Toronto, right? Like, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's it's the hit in Buffalo because people could drive over the border yeah. and go. But yeah, you know, and and I all my some of my most fond memories of the tournament are, uh, and even though the crowds weren't great, but being in some of those small European cities um, over Christmas and and uh, and you know watching it there, and it was there was such especially in the early days, uh, in the early '90s, and even into the mid '90s. I mean, there wasn't that big of a contingent there. Um, you know that we didn't broadcast every game. We didn't broadcast every game in Fusen, in Yavla, in Ostrava. Uh, the first year I can remember broadcasting, I think every single game uh, was either '95 in in Red Deer, or it might have been '90s. No, we didn't that year. '96, I think, in Boston. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a thing to do all the games, and it it really has. It's you know now they do every single game, not just every single Canadian game. And yeah, I think it's I think it's lost some of that hominess, if you will, by going into the great big venues. But it's all about money. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a 
This is a massive, massive revenue generator, not just for Hockey Canada, but for the International Ice Hockey Federation, as well as their uh, as their media partner over there. So, I mean, it's it's a big, big moneymaker. Uh, I mean, uh, there is no question that is one reason why there's been zero talk about postponing the tournament this year. I mean, NHL shutting down games, NFL's rescheduling games. You haven't heard a peep. Right. Uh, and it's in Alberta for crying out loud, <laughs> where, you know, Alberta's record in handling COVID speaks for itself. Right. So, it, but there's because this is a huge money generator for the International Ice Hockey Federation and for Hockey Canada and, you know, follow the money. That's that's why it's in big cities now. I always said like a couple things, I guess, if it, if it had come to, you know, my hometown, which I grew up in the GTA, I said I would absolutely be first in line to do it. And then when it finally did, it was like, OK, but half of it's here and Canada will be in Montreal for the round robin and then you'll get the playoffs with Canada. And then they flipped it two years later. And again, I guess I understand why they did that. You sell more ticket packages that way, but you killed my interest. I'm like, I'm not interested in half a tournament. And I have always sort of had this in my back pocket that if I ever won the lottery, right, the thing I would like to do is, is, you know, get six or eight or 10 buddies together and go to one of the European versions of the tournament, fly out on Christmas day night, be there in time for boxing day and, and see it there. You've through your work with uh, the Spangler cup and the world juniors, you've had a chance to see, you know, all over Europe, either calling games or just on your own time. If you were recommending to me a city that the world juniors was going to be in, in Europe or even just a country, right? It doesn't have to be a specific city where if I'm leaving Canada, where should I go see the world juniors? Well, it, it's a two part answer. First of all, with all due respect to the world junior championship, which I know is what we're talking about. If you want a memorable hockey experience, uh, put on your bucket list, going to the Spangler cup. Really? Eh? Uh, it is like living on a postcard <laughs> or for a week or, or seven or eight days, whatever it is. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you like to ski, you can do that. If you just like to go for walks, it is it is an absolutely gorgeous setting. The rink is the nicest hockey rink I've ever been in. And it's uh, like with, a it's a Swiss resort town, isn't it, for people who aren't familiar? Like very yeah, very yeah, Davo. They also have the World Economic Forum there, but it's uh, it's it, yeah, it's there are mountain ranges on both sides of it, uh, and it's it's a small ski town, hmm. and it is absolutely beautiful. The rink is the most unique hockey rink I've ever been in, with its big sort of cathedral wooden ceiling with all the exposed beams and glass at one end. Uh, it, it the atmosphere around the town, it is absolutely fantastic and the hockey is very good right. it's very good and very entertaining you have some great club teams there and canada's sort of put together team from european pros but if we're talking world junior specifically then uh, you could not go wrong going to see it one year when it's in helsinki mm -hmm. uh it's a wonderful city. It's a great rink. Uh, Finns are, uh, you know, really hospitable, friendly people. They love their hockey. It's the only other country in the world, Finland, where hockey is by far, without question, the number one sport. So you're in a you're in a, a country of hockey fans in a city of hockey fans, and it's a it's a great place. Maybe you're in Helsinki twice during your run. I, I'm not sure doing the World Juniors, but I know you were there at least once in the '90s for uh, for the tournament. Was would that be on the list of um, like, how would you compare it now? Because the tournament was just there in maybe 2015 or 2016 and they were selling out Finland games in the, and it's a big building there uh, in Helsinki for um, for what the tournament is. But it did seem back in the 90s and the early days of watching this tournament, a lot of the European cities or countries weren't embracing this. And that does seem to have 
gone away a little bit. Like the more you see games in the Czech Republic now, the Czechs are are getting big crowds for it. Is you know how have you kind of viewed the growth of it over there? And or would you say Finland was part of that, or were they always kind of big into that tournament? It, it, I guess junior hockey isn't just as big over there, and it took some time for this tournament to catch on. Yeah, it's just t- I mean there is no junior hockey there. There there is no junior hockey system in Finland. Uh, in Sweden, in Switzerland, in the Czech Republic, they they work with a club team system, unlike the way we do things in North America. So all of the the junior age players play for the club team, and they play games, and it's not really followed. It's it's viewed completely as developmental, mm-hmm. and the aspiration of a say, for example, a seventeen year old playing for the development club for let's say Jokerit is to get called up to Jokerit, the senior team, if there are injuries or just for a little run so they can have a look at him. That's how it works there. It's completely different. So there is no junior hockey system that is widely followed. And as a result, this tournament shows up over the uh, the Christmas season. And it's, well, when, what is it? I think was the <laughs> attitude of most people. What is it, why, why do I want to go and watch a bunch of 17 or 18-year-olds play? Like, I'll, I'll go and watch the, the club team. There's right. a senior uh, now, that has changed, and it's changed mainly in, again, uh, Finland, which is a, a great hockey country, and Sweden, of course, is a, you know, hockey's a big sport there as well. It's it's not as big as uh, as, as soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not as big as uh, alpine sports, but it's big, big enough that people will go and watch the games, and they're, they're on TV as well. You know, when we started doing it, we being TSN, uh, generally when you go and do an international tournament, not to get too TV world here, but there is a host feed that is produced of the tournament that all international broadcasters have access to. So this happens at the Olympics, the World Hockey Championship, the World Track and Field Championships, anything like that. Well, when we went to Europe to do the World Junior Championship, there was no host feed Hmm. because nobody cared about it. So TSN became the host broadcaster, which I believe is still the case uh, through their marketing deal with the International Ice Hockey Federation. So, you know, that again, now that there's a fee there and it is it has become a bit of a television property in Sweden uh, and in Finland and in some of the other countries. But, for example, as far as I as far as I know, it is not available to watch on television in Norway. Uh, because right. there is no broadcaster that carries the tournament. So there's not that much interest in it. Mm-hmm. And I know the numbers that we got on Eurosport were not exactly, you know, blowing the roof off. <laughs> um, is it, it, as you ran through your, your uh, time calling the tournament, whether it be on TSN or whether it be for Eurosport, do you have one that, that you could put your finger on as a favorite, either because of the quality of play or a storyline throughout or just the vibe and the crowd that was kind of present through the tournaments which ones kind of stand out to you well there would be two uh for off ice it would without a doubt be the 99 2000 tournament where we were in sheleftia which is a, a small town in northern sweden and of course it was the uh it was 
going from 1999 to 2000. And we were there for New Year's Eve. And that was very, very memorable. Canada was mediocre in the tournament. They finished in third place. It was nothing special. But off the ice, it was just tremendous to be someplace that unique. And I can remember being outside and, you know, looking up at the sky, at the stars and the northern lights. And uh, and there were lots of Swedish things going on with fires outdoors and, uh, the, you know, the old cut a hole in the ice thing and go for a swim uh, and saunas. It, it was incredible, you know, incredible experience there. Uh, in terms of the hockey, probably the one that that really stands out for me was the one in Winnipeg, which was in 1998-99. Is that the Luongo and- year? Yeah, that was the Luongo year. And that's if I had to pick one game that I remember, maybe there were better games. I'm sure there probably were. But I I so remember that game against the Russians and Roberto Luongo. Uh, and I've, I've talked to him about it many times over the years since then when our paths crossed in the NHL. But he put on, for me, probably the finest goaltending performance that I've ever called. You know, I've, I've probably seen better ones on TV, but in games that I call play-by-play for at any level, uh, world championship, junior, uh, NHL, he was just absolutely stunning. And, uh, I, and the other thing I remember, it was a great broadcast. As I recall, just everybody was right on. The director was right on. The producer was right on Gary Green, my broadcast partner. And I've just felt like it was one of those special nights where we were on top of the play and everything was going well. And when Russia scored, in overtime, it was, you could, in my memory, you could hear an entire packed building all at once just go, oh, you could just hear it. It was, it was something of that, that, so if I had to pick one for the hockey and for a game, that would be it. I remember watching that game. That's one of the ones where I'm really engaged now. Like I'm actually old enough to, you know, I, feel like I know something about some of these guys and who's maybe drafted some of them and this and that as opposed to just watching as a as a kid or whatever but uh Luongo obviously put on a show there but that was a pretty like my recollection as you said is Luongo was so good that Canada had no business being in that game and in overtime it was all him on Canada uh you had Daniel Kachuk that's one of those names right that was yeah Rico Fada right these guys that are going to be huge stars and it just doesn't quite pan out uh, Simon Gagné. Okay. Another guy had a big, he had seven goals. He was uh, Canada's leading goal scorer. He was on fire during that tournament. Um, so, you know, very, Within three very... years, he'd be at the Olympics in Salt Lake. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you did reference there a couple of holiday seasons, a couple of Christmases, a couple of New Year's in other countries. And there is a story that, uh, bits and pieces of it over <laughs> the years I've heard trickle out. You mentioned it a week or so ago. Uh, you got to tell us the snake lady story, Paul. Well, first of all, I'm disgusted that uh, that my uh, longtime broadcast colleague, Bob McKenzie, wouldn't share the story. With <laughs> to now, be I, fair I, to Bob, as I was teasing that episode, we had already recorded, so I couldn't go back and ask him. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, now that he's Bobby Margarita, uh, <laughs> l- liquor entrepreneur, sure. uh, maybe he doesn't want to soil himself with the sordid stories like this. But here is my recollection of the snake lady story. So... It was New Year's Eve 1993. It was the 93-94 tournament, and it was in Ostrava in the Czech Republic, which was a a post-communist industrial town. Uh, And, uh, you know, it it was a 
good hockey place, but there was nothing spectacular, particularly about the uh, about the city. Mm-hmm. So we were there, and uh, it was New Year's Eve. You know, was a big big deal, and so we either didn't have a game that night or didn't have a game the next day, whatever it was, is there, it had been arranged. Okay. The crew is going to get together in the restaurant at the hotel and uh, we're going to have a, a, a big meal crew meal. And then there's also a new year's Eve thing going on there with, with dancing and they're going to have a live band and it's as is the case in most cities in the world. It's a big new year's eve so we were there and it was a fantastic meal and lots of laughs as these things tend to tend to go and then as the clock ticked you know 11 30 between 11 30 and midnight there was sort of a hush came over the crowd and the and uh, the band came back from their break and they kicked into it do 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 and everybody cleared the dance floor and this lady came out and she was dressed uh like a like a dancer you know she came out and she had like the bare midriff and she (laughs) she starts dancing around and that 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 and she goes and you know the bottom comes off and so now she's in she's in a pair of uh of underwear (laughs) Uh, and so she's dancing away and then the top comes off and she's got a bra on. So she's got, you know, dancing in her underwear. And, uh, and then sure enough, she, at one point she reaches behind and unclasps the bra and boom, <laughs> the big reveal, you know? And, uh, Hey, hey well, we, we don't get this back in Canada. This is quite the, the New Year's uh, Eve party. And then for the uh, piece de resistance, uh, she's dancing around topless. She reaches into this prop bag and she pulls out uh and i have pictures to verify this a big snake and she does like a dance with the snake and the snake sort of curls provocatively around her he puts it up over her shoulder and she finally finishes thundering ovation you know yeah i bet particularly from our table yeah the sort of denouement of the story is that's something we're going to be talking about for, well, however many years it's been, many years. And uh, I'm sure the story is still told by others. But then after midnight, we thought this party should continue. We're having a great time. And we went out to another bar in the city. And we were there at one thirty in the morning, some ungodly hour. And there's a pause in the dance floor and everybody moves and the band kicks into gear and once again there is the snake lady same lady (laughs) the same lady (laughs) so clearly on new year's eve she was the hardest working woman in off-road she went around and you know i'm assuming did the circuit of the bars and hotels and uh, and god bless her but it was quite a night of entertainment for a bunch of uh, canadians sitting at a table not used to the topless hotel dance on new year's eve so I've, that was i can almost see at the bar but this is just in the hotel restaurant at new year's eve yeah, yeah. oh yeah oh. it's in the the whole the, and this was like it was a family event <laughs> It wasn't like, you know, a, you know, we, we weren't at uh, like the local uh, peeler joint. No. This was this was a, a nice hotel uh, and they'd sold tickets and there were lots of locals there. And it was, you know, there were kids there, young, young people and uh, grandmas. <laughs> and uh, it was a very mixed family event this New Year's Eve. And clearly uh, they had no problem with uh, a dancer uh, 
getting her tits out on New Year's. <laughs> God bless liberal Europe, I guess, right? It's, uh, <laughs> you got to love Europe. That's right. <laughs> um, you know where we like to wind things down. I got to at least ask you on the craft beer front. I know uh, you, you like to sample some things now and then. Anything that's standing out to you lately or tried anything particularly good lately? I am a big fan of the uh, Wellington Brewery in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, they deliver to Toronto. It's usually like sort of uh, next day or 48-hour delivery, and they have a great selection. And I am right now trying to keep the spirit going, Matt. <laughs> I have a few tins of Cruel Summer <laughs> Ale Ale. That I'm just, it, it's a session pale ale, and I'm... I have a few tins left in the fridge, and I'm just finishing them off. And it's it is a delicious drink, uh, really nice beer. But they, they do uh, they do some great craft beers and special edition beers. So that's that's my current favorite. Have you tried from there something called Raked Over? I have not. Okay, so this was just handed to me uh, I don't know, several weeks ago now by my usual co-host here, and he had seen it and wanted me to try it. It's uh, it's an IPA, and it's kind of citrusy up front, but at the end, it's got a kick. And it's a habanero. It's got like a hot flavor behind it. Oh. It was strange. Um, now, I, now, was it strange good or strange like somebody dropped a habanero in my beer when I wasn't right. <laughs> So he said he didn't like it when he had his, but he wanted me to try one. So he saved it and brought it over. It's not something I would ever sit down and have like six or eight of on a Saturday afternoon. But I finished mine. I didn't mind it. Like it was a different kick to it. And it, he kind of asked me right on cue like as i took my first sip he goes what do you think and i just went i don't know and that whoa like it it comes late the habanero for some reason you get the citrus the beer flavor right up um you know right up front but then it it kind of it's almost like two three seconds later before you get that habanero kick it was uh it, it's not something like you said you'd ever want to sit down and drink a case of but uh for something different to try it was all right i didn't mind it no, the, the, the cruel summer is uh, citrusy up front, and then at the back end, you get a little bit of that pale ale bitterness. But right. it's it's light; it's a session beer, so it's it's not too. He- I find I can fun t- sometimes find pale ales to be a little heavy, and yeah. I just want one or two of them. But this is a a nice uh, a nice light pale ale, and I guess you know suitable for the summer. And they also do, which I think is kind of regularly in their uh, in their rotation, uh, they do a a really nice bitter. And it's just Wellington Best Bitter, and it's a it's a nice uh, winter drinking beer. It's a light bitter. Uh, reminds me of some of the bitters that I used to have when I lived in England. They make a nice uh, brown too, the county brown that I uh, I quite enjoy out of there. So they make some really nice stuff. Um, look, Paul, really appreciate you making some time for us. I think this is the third time you've been on the show. Last uh, last time we talked, it was uh, you know last year's. Um, we put together a, a Christmas Day show for a lot of people who were not going to be spending, you know, it was a different world or it was supposed to be a different world. <laughs> a lot of people not seeing family and, and stuff like that. So we reached out to uh, all our friends of the show just to talk about their kind of Christmas traditions and stuff like that. So um, and before that, of course, it was more your career in general. So this is the third time and hopefully we can do this again. But uh, thank you so much for making some time. and I hope you have a great holidays. My pleasure. I, I enjoy following your account on uh, on Twitter and listening to your show, and uh, I wish uh, you and yours all the best. My pleasure. Anytime. And uh, just one last thing before we get out of here. Tell us about uh, what's the newest episode of The Walrus Was Paul, and uh, what do you got coming up? Where can people find it? 
Uh, they can find it wherever you get your podcasts, or they can go to RomyCast, R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T dot com, uh, and go to the homepage of the podcast, which is called The Walrus Was Paul. And uh, I talk to Canadian music people about their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album. We've got uh, a double episode out right now featuring Jim Cuddy and Colin Cripps of Blue Rodeo. Oh, wow. and and. Just a masterful conversation with both of them, parts one and two, on the Beatles' 1969 classic, Abbey Road. Uh, so it, that's uh, you definitely want to hunt that one down. And I am uh, also hope to have maybe a little, uh, a, little a brief special Christmas episode uh, to drop on Christmas Eve. Gorgeous. Uh, thank you again so much for doing this, Paul, and I uh, hope you enjoy the tournament. Like I said, have a Merry Christmas. And to you. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Paul. And, and great stuff there. We will wind this one down here. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. Wherever you're listening right now, make sure you are subscribed or following along, whatever your app calls it, because there's great stuff coming at you on Friday, Christmas Eve. Rob returns and we will have our annual World Junior Preview Show. Uh, next Monday with Michaela Schreider and Chris Hoffley, the 2021 Brew Marsh Awards Canadian Athlete of the Year, as determined over a couple pints of craft beer. And next Friday, New Year's Eve, Maddie Lang is here for your 2021 year in review outside of sports. Great stuff coming at you throughout the holiday season. We look forward to spending some of that with you. Until then, my name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all next time. It is over! Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app.